Welcome to this first conversation of our mini-series, Stories of Migration. My name is Elisa Med, I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Four Magazine, and it is a pleasure having you with us today. This podcast series welcomes three artists whose work evolves around questions of migration, identity, and belonging. From their individual perspectives and personal histories, the artists reflect on many complex subjects, such as ethnicity, place, marginalization, memory, and constructions of the self. Each of the episodes features a different guest speaker, who together with the artist explores their work, approach, and topics around it. Today's episode features phone talent Sylvia Rosi in conversation with Jeanne Africo, culture curator, founder, and artistic director of Griot magazine. The starting point of the talk is Sylvia's project Encounter, featured in phone magazine talent issue in 2021. Her project reflects her investigation in retracing and engaging with her personal family history, drawing on her Togolese heritage and the idea of origins, and how identities take shape and form. Her self-portraits explore the theme of family, where she reenacts as her mother and father, narrating their experience of migration from Togo to Italy. Joanne and Silvia, the floor is yours. Good afternoon, good afternoon everyone, and thank you Elisa for introducing us, and thank you for the invite. I'm very happy to be here today sharing this space with uh, artist uh, Silvia Rosi. Hi Silvia, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, how are you? I'm fine. Uh, where are you now? Are you in London, Italy? I'm actually in Italy, in the countryside, kind of near Modena, where my parents live. I'm in Italy too, in Rome now, and yes. So I've been following Rosie's work for three years. I've got to know um, her through a friend of mine. And uh, last year I invited uh, Rosie to collaborate with me uh, to an online exhibition I was invited to curate over at the Greif. I don't know if I'm, the pronunciation is correct. And uh, Rosie provided a quote by Chinua Achebe uh, from the novel Things Fall Apart. And, as a framework for this submission for the open call. And the quote was, uh, there is no story that is not true. The world has no hands and what is good among one people is an abomination with others. So it was very interesting also to see um, all how the photographers responded to this quote, wasn't it, Silvia? Yeah, definitely. It was very interesting to see all of the lovely images they submitted. Yeah. So Rosie, I would like to delve into your work starting from a work of mine uh, that is called The Experts, The Untold Stories of Black Italians Abroad. And uh, mm, it's a series that I created in 2016. Actually, I shot the first season in New York in 2016 and the second one in London in 2017. The series tells the stories of Black Italian, Afro-Italian creatives who moved abroad in search of new opportunities and also to escape from a country, their country, Italy, which questioned and still questioned our Italianness, our Italian identity, our black body. And each story focuses on an individual journey and linking each expert to the path their own parents took at some point in uh, their lives. So considering uh, living as a central theme of your parents' biography, how conscious and intentional was leaving uh, Italy for the UK in retrospect? So I, I moved to London when I was 19. I came from a very small town in the north of Italy, where I'm actually now. And I found growing up there that my, my identity was constantly questioned, not only 
by others that would often ask me, where are you from? You know, and other forms of microaggressions. But it was also questioned by by myself and by the way I perceive my own self as being different from others around me. So I explain my my desire to move as a drive to make new experiences and learn English and study abroad. But I was actually looking for a place where I could be myself and where people wouldn't label me in a way. So London was the the perfect place for that. And it's it's not actually perfect, but it is better. And and people's identity there is a so multi-layered that I feel and I felt at the time instantly at home. So the the idea of the journey central in my work and being distant from home and from family made me interrogate myself on identity and where is home. And in a way that distance led me to look at images from my family album in a more attentive way and, you know, recognizing a familiarity with different places and different types of imagery. So the journey, it's really much present in the family album and beyond that, really. Yeah. So identity, home, distance are very central theme in your uh, serious encounter, and which was also featured on Four magazine. There are two works in particular I would love to dig into: self-portrait as my mother and self-portrait as my father. In both, you embody your parents' experience of moving from Togo to Italy. In the first one, self-portrait as my father, you are pictured in a studio setting with a blue background. You're sitting, wearing eyeglasses and a smiley's face. You are smart, white shirt, light blue silk tie, a Chanel black jacket, gray pants and black moccasins. And you carry three books on your head and your left arm is uh, resting on your left leg. And you hold a tomato in your left hand, which, you, which we see multiply on the floor in 12 groups of four tomatoes. While in self-portrait as my mother, you are pictured in the same studio setting, standing up, wearing a 1970s flowery dress, um, black shoes, and you carry a radio on your head. So compared to the first image in this one, uh, uh, the expression on your face is, uh, and it conveys surprise, uncertainty. But both images are imbued with a sophisticated aesthetic, drawing upon the classic West African studio portraiture. So what do these images say and to what extent is the act of carrying things on your head functional to what you want to say? So the the two self-portraits you just described are from the series Encounter and they they're shown together as a diptych and they speak about my parents' experience of migration and I use my own body to interpret my parents in in the images. I I dress as they would dress. I I pose as they would, and I I mimic this tradition of West African studio portraiture, as you mentioned. So bringing into the scenes different props that help me really construct a, a narrative around those images. So um, my father was the first of the couple to move to Italy. He was a young student. It was uh, 
1988 and he was from a middle class Togolese family and he had the ambition of moving to Europe and progressive studies. He arrived in Italy and he realized uh, a shift in his social status. He, he became the other, um, the alien, a sort of a threat. And he couldn't find the job he was hoping for and ended up working as a tomato picker in the south of Italy. When my mom arrived a year after, she realized what his condition was and she realized he was living in a shelter. So she always described him as a very elegant person, as someone who loved uh, debate and conversation and has someone who read a lot and carried himself and wore a suit regardless of his condition. So this is how I represent him in the image surrounded by tomatoes, which are displayed in the same way as you would find fruits in markets around Togo in this beautiful way, you know, one stuck on top of the other like a little pyramid. And he's dressed in a former attire, holding books on his head, which is a direct reference to head carrying in West African markets where you see women carrying goods on their heads as they walk through the streets of the market quite quickly to find customers. So in a way, carrying goods on their heads um, is a reference, carrying goods on one's head is a reference to this. And in a way, is a reference to culture and all the cultural background that people carry with them while um, they migrate in a sense. And that's also true for my dad's experience in a way. I also wanted to say that the portrait focuses on the experience of a man in the diaspora and how um, from a male perspective, one's worth is linked to one's ability to provide for their families. And when they can't, this they feel lessened and unable to move forward, but also unable to go back home. So kind of trapped as my dad is in the image in, in the sea of tomatoes and not quite uh, feeling able to move anywhere else. And the second image, the self-portrait as my mother focuses on my mom's experience when she arrived in Europe and how being a woman made it easier for her to find an occupation working as a nanny for an Italian family. So her boss was a French teacher and that was kind of handy as they could understand each other well. And, you know, my mom was still learning Italian at the time. And one day while she, she was listening to the radio, she heard a piece of news. So they say, um, they said they were going to pass a law to legalize migrants on Italian soil. And the law was called Legge Martelli. And through that, she was able to get papers and stay in the country. And the image um, represents that moment. I... I picture her holding a radio on her head and surrounded by this blue backdrop and wearing this uh, very luminous dress. And the radio is a prop that 
often appears in images of West African portraiture, something that you would find going into a studio and you would pose with it, um, showing how, how you were amusing yourself and how fun the life in the city was. But in, in this case, I used the same object as a symbol of freedom of movement for someone that heard a piece of news on the radio that allowed her to lead an easier life in a foreigner country. And this law was passed in 1990 and the trigger was the murder of Jerry Hassan Maslow as you know, many racist attacks on migrants at the time and well, sadly still happening um, now in Italy. Yeah, unfortunately. In fact, indeed, there's a huge gap, I think, in Italy in the mainstream narration of migration, not only uh, to the black body, uh, linked to the black body, but also to other other red bodies. Uh, and uh, men, women, children are always narrated um, through a single lens. And uh, their individual stories are oftentimes, most of the time, very, you know, overshadowed, uh, ignore or neglected. And uh, talking about your father's experience as a tomato picker, tomato is one of the main ingredients of the Italian cuisine. We can see it in uh, the caprese, yeah. uh, mozzarella, basil and uh, tomato, or uh, on pizza and on many, on many dishes. But it's indeed also linked to a long, often time bloody uh, uh, stories of exploitation, dehumanization and oppression. And the story of your father resonates uh, with the story of many African seasonal workers. There have been, of course, and there are leading figures who fought and who are still fighting uh, against this system within the system. I think of South African refugee Jerry Hassan Maslow, who you mentioned it's just a couple of minutes ago, who was shot to death in 1989 in the city of Villa Literno. And uh, Cameroonian activist, engineer, and not fictional writer Ivan Sagné, and Italian Ivorian trade unionist Abubakar Somaro who has just founded this movement, in Movimento dell'Invisibile, the movement of invisible. And all of them, of course, work as farm laborers. So how much these fights, these experiences, these stories influence your artistic practice? So my, my work is very much shaped by conversations with my mom around the diaspora and everything I narrate is from from a female point of view. Um, and I would never know what my dad's real experience has been in this country. But when I, when I hear voices from black activists, which report attacks and injustice in my country, I, I think of my dad and how vocal it was to my mom when speaking about injustice. So, um, through them and through their voices, I see a bit of my dad's fight and in their tone and their facial expressions as they speak, I, I read the same frustration and anger that might have crossed my father's face in, in this realization of how his body was being exploited and this inability 
to to fight the system alone. So we can say also that these kind of images are like a celebration of those who are still here. Definitely, yeah, definitely. I I like to think in a way um, my acknowledgement of my my dad's history could be a testimony of something that has been happening historically for for years and still happens today. And Sylvia, what are the steps of your creative process uh, um, from concept to creation? How do you compose your images? So I like to listen to stories and this was one of the main elements in the work, asking my mom about her experience in Italy before I was born and having conversations we wouldn't normally have. So this work is an occasion through photography to explore in depth the history of my family. So from talking to my mom, I take elements to build my text. And from the family album, I take the visual elements to, to construct my images, as well as memorizing people's gestures and moves and mimic them when, when, when taking my own images. So the, the objects I use in my images come from different places, so vintage shops, Uh, fabric shops around London, but also from the market in Asigame in, in Lomé. But even from, from my family home in Italy, and everything comes from different locations, but they're all brought into the studio to serve as elements to construct different realities. In your exhibition, Encounter, uh, Jarwood Arts in London 2020, in uh, which self-portrait as my mother and self-portrait as my father were shown, you also work with text and video. How do they relate to your approach to your photography? Okay, so I, I use photography, text and video in combination, as I think it gives me a more complete experience of the story I, I'm trying to tell. So photography, it's used in freezing a moment that is, is constructed and doesn't really exist. So it freezes this very unstable moment where you have this balance between uh, what's true and what's fake. And it kind of gives it a legitimacy through, through the still image. And then the, the video, makes me reflect on how memories are stored in my mind and how um, movement brings me closer to a certain moment that I experienced in the past. And then there's text that gives me an opportunity to transform the oral histories into words that are repeated over and over again in the same way as they are when the stories are told by different members of my family. The text is shown alongside the images and it tells the story of my father um, in the same way as I told you earlier, but shorter. It's presented inside a frame and it's repeated many, many times. And when you enter the gallery, you see the image in the first place. And then you notice the, 
the text frame where there's a word in white for my dad's image, for instance, the word is tomato. It's written in right and you read it and you look at the image and you see myself posing as my father and you see the word tomato. But if you move closer, you can read the rest of the text. So the text wants to give the opportunity to read the stories related to the images, but also not to read them. You can ignore them and just carry on looking at the images. And that's also fine um, as, you know, sometimes we... We're in the right place and we want to read, but maybe another time we want to look and just carry on. And in a way, it becomes closer to what was my experience of encountering images in my family albums. Sometimes I just wanted to look at images and enjoy them. But other times I just wanted to grab someone from my family and have them explaining to me who are the people portrayed in the images and what are the circumstances that brought them to the making of this image. So the, the text in a way has the same function to bring together a narrative, but it's also unnecessary and, and that's okay. <laughs> but do you think that, no, because you say that it's unnecessary, but do you think if you don't read the text, uh, the viewer, could absorb what you want to say with your images? I, I like to think that the, the viewer would get a sense of what I want to, to show in the image. You, in front of the image, you would recognize a setting, so the West African studio uh, portraiture aesthetic, and then you you would recognize different elements. For example, if you traveled in West Africa, you would, you would see in the way I display the tomatoes, uh, um, some sort of recognition of that um, way of selling fruits in the market. But also, um, I'm okay with the fact that you, you could just look at the image and and just enjoy it for what it is. So you made your artistic debut with Encounter, and what was the urge to create uh, this piece of work? And why did you decide to introduce yourself as an artist with this series? So Encounter is a work that I developed thanks to the Jerwood and Photo Works Awards, and that granted me the fundings, the time and the support to really make a body of work that I felt the urgency to make. And at the time I was very much interrogating myself on my identity and my family history. And if I have to be honest, the work I wanted to make was more related to the market of Asigame. I had spent some time in the market where my mom and my grandmother before her worked as a as market trader. And I was, uh, I was looking to produce a, ser a series of portraits of women carrying goods around the market. I, I knew I wanted to work on this project, but I wasn't sure what my approach was going to be. And when I was in the market, I found it quite difficult to photograph people. I didn't speak the language and 
my French is quite poor and traders were a bit suspicious about my presence and I want to make sure I had their consent before photographing them. So when I understood they, they didn't want to be photographed while working and while sweaty, um, I, I started reflecting on the reasons why, and that brought me back to the tradition of studio portraiture, uh, which is quite strong and which makes one's appearance very important when it comes to photography and, and when the camera is involved. But also, um, I guess an important fact is that people are very familiar with photography as a medium and the way the continent is represented in the West. So I, I changed direction and I came back. I traveled home and I found an image of my family album that portrayed my mother selling in the market of Asigama before um, she migrated to Italy. And that became the thread that um, linked me to the project that I'm presenting now. So um, that led me to the recurring team in my work, which is market trade in my family and head caring has as a gesture. So the, the work is, um, is shot in London. The videos are shot between uh, Togo and Senegal. And it was exhibited in the UK as it's, it is where I was based at the time where I'm usually based. But to be honest, I, I don't feel the urgency to, to show the work in, uh, in Italy, for instance, I, I think. You should. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm happy. I'm you ha should, because this kind of work are very, uh, are very necessary in our country, especially these works realized by Afro-Italian, black Italian artists. And, you know, we need artists like you that could be like an inspiration for the young generation. And uh, yeah, but sorry, let's continue. Sorry if I'm too to you. No, no, definitely. I no, I, I agree with you in in a sense. I well, I think it would be nice to to show the work uh, in Italy, but I'm not specifically looking to do that as the as I made the work for for myself and and for whoever wants to to listen and look at my images but I wouldn't I wouldn't identify my work as um, speaking about Italy or speaking about Togo it's all it's a more complex um, experience than that so I'm, I'm happy that it was produced in the UK where I could get some distance from those two places that are very important for in the making of the work. I called you Afro-Italian. I know that is a, there's a very huge debate uh, surrounding this uh, word, this term, but I want to ask you this question because uh, I've been asked this question many times and uh, have you ever used first the term uh, Afro-Italian or Afro-Pian to identify yourself? And how do you feel when someone refers to you as uh, Afro-Italian? Yeah, so I, I don't usually refer to myself as Afro-Italian as I, I believe the term is not correct for what is my experience. As, you know, in a way I'm, I'm lucky 
enough to know where my family's from. Um, I know Togo, I traveled there, most of my family still lives there. And we we made regular trips to, to Lomé, uh, which is a place that I, I like to think I know quite well. And I also... I also see this term as mimicking the African-American experience, which is not quite the same as the experience of black people in Europe. But at the same time, I wouldn't protest when called Afro-Italian, as I I recognize in this term a desire to to unify and connect in the most positive of ways uh, people that share similar experiences in uh, in Europe or in Italy. So I I would go along, I would look, I would go along with it most of the times and criticize the term just just in my head, you know. But yeah, I'm usually fine with it. <laughs> I am I'm, I'm I'm fine with it too. I mean, uh, I was born in Italy. My father is from Ghana, and my father is from ha- and my mother is from Haiti. So as you, I, I know my roots, if they know that I'm a Ghanaian, Haitian Ghanaian. Yes, more specific. Besides being Italian, of course. Definitely, yeah. And uh, does your physical or geographical location affect how you, how and what you choose to shoot? Yeah, it, it definitely does. I, I feel, I feel when I'm in, in the studio, I have... Um, a more specific idea of the pictures I would like to create, which uh, comes from the fact that I I research and I read and I draw in my mind what pictures I would like to to take. But then when I'm, for instance, in places like uh, like Togo or when when I was in Senegal, where I did my um, my residency for for a month well those places affect the way i i create my work when when it comes to video for example i don't usually work with video it's something that i i started experimenting with when i was traveling and i was trying to to find ways to take myself portraits but i couldn't I couldn't quite work around it technically as I didn't have a mirror to um, to kind of see what I was doing. I usually uh, take self-portraits with an analog camera. So the only way I have to see, the only way I have to see myself and what I'm doing is to use a mirror and kind of negotiate what I'm, what I'm seeing there and what's happening um, in, in front of me. So I started working with video as a way of of seeing myself in the act of taking portraits and video became a part of the work. So it is when you shoot the videos that the performative aspect of your practice uh, emerge. Yeah, definitely. So I I started using videos quite accidentally I usually have a small mirror that I use to see myself while I'm in the act of um, taking self-portraits 
But then I found myself working in an, in an environment where a mirror wasn't available. So I started using the, the video mode in my digital camera to, as a way of recording my movements and, um, and yeah, as a way of helping um, the, the making of the self-portraits. So in a way, video became part of the work. It makes a lot of sense because when you shoot yourself in the act of, you know, having on your head a basket of fruits or some books or some other objects or just, you know, moving your arm. But when you shoot yourself a video, you are like performing that moment. It's not just when you are shooting with a camera, just a single shot, but when you shoot actually a video, I imagine that that moment is the moment where the performative act of your practice emerge uh, at the very fullest. Do you, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. This is what I'm feeling uh, from what you're saying about, you know, when you were telling about the story of this woman uh, um, having the basket on her head and then uh, picking up the phone, starting to chat. And then I imagine you in the, in the, in the studio uh, mimicking the same scene. And I think that is very, a very powerful performative uh, moment. Yeah, I'm not sure I can find a, a right way to say it. So when I, I started working with video quite accidentally and then it sort of became part of the work when I could see myself, not just in still image, but in motion. And I felt like that became an occasion for me to, to perform memories and encounters that I had throughout my journeys through, through the video. So starting using it in a more conscious way and that and that happened when I used videos to uh, perform an encounter that I had with, with a woman while I was in Senegal. She, she was walking in the garden of the residency where, where I was staying and she, she was carrying a basket around her arms full of clothes and all of a sudden I heard her phone ringing so I, I kept looking at her and that's when she took the basket, she placed it on top of her head. She reached to her pocket to, to grab the phone and she started talking and she would speak loudly and gesticulate. And it was almost how, as if the, the basket became an extension of her body. So in a way, instead of recording her, I, I captured the scene in my head and then replicated the same scene, so mimicked her, her gesture using my own body and that, that performance of, of a scene that I had experienced became part of, of the work lately. I just wanted to say that, um, well, earlier we were talking about uh, this idea of, uh, of people seeing the work and not quite getting um, what's behind the work and and in a sense i i feel i feel that's also that's also interesting the the way the the image 
catches your eye because of the visual, because of of the colors and um, everything that draws you to to look at that image. But I also I also hope that um, there can be a different engagement that can emerge from looking at all of the elements that are present in the image, which, which are sometimes unusual. And, and I hope people interrogate themselves on why the tomatoes are in the image and why someone is holding a radio on, on one side. And I think those elements, those are the ones that uh, make you curious about the image and make you want to go beyond just the visual, um, but um, dig deeper into the research that I made. Since uh, the West African uh, studio portrait, uh, portraiture is your um, signature style, uh, are you going or are you experimenting new formats of, uh, you know, photography or are you going to experiment a new form of photography? I, I guess the, the West African studio portrait tradition came into the work because of an influence from, from my family album prior the influence from, you know, the history of photography. And for me, it was an expedient to draw a connection between one reality and another. So what is present in my family album, but also what is present in my history moving to Italy and further from, the, from, from that point. So I think it served well in the making of this of this project, but I wouldn't say it will be my main way of expression in the future. And yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just waiting to see how my photography evolves and how different influences will, will turn the work into something hopefully different, but maybe not. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Silvia, for your time. And uh, thank you for conversating with me. Thanks for having me. I hope to see you soon here in Rome. Yeah, definitely. Bye. <laughs> Bye. See you later. We would like to thank Silvia and Joanne for sharing such inspiring conversation with us. It has been a true joy to listen on. Next time, we will be joined by Daniel Garcia Castro and Edmund Clark. Keep an eye on our social media for the upcoming episode. Thanks for listening and until next time, viva! <laughs>